You guys ready to hear about this this dude? episode everybody welcome to the limbaugh i'm clay russell i'm christine sear and i'm academy award nominee kirsten dunst uh luminous <laughs> luminous this of course is a show about the presidential medal of freedom who's received it you should receive it maybe a couple you shouldn't but first oscar noms that's what we're here for brian you have to be excited for one mrs dunst I'm thrilled for Kirsten, I'm thrilled for Kristen, and I'm thrilled for Jessica Chastain. Um, I was very excited uh, on Tuesday morning, um, and not just because um, hours before in a Prosecco haze, I tweeted out my, my predictions for Best Actress, and somebody was like, this is bold, I don't think this is going to happen, and you want to know something? I called mm. them all five for five. Mm. Mm. <laughs> what do you think about the House of Gucci snub, or was it not a snub? I don't think it's a snub. I think that the movie was pretty widely panned. And I think that, you know, um, the first time Lady Gaga appeared in a movie, it felt like a thing where the Academy was like, no, we want you to be part of our club. We love you. You did amazing. And I think that this time that novelty wasn't there. So it wasn't able to kind of give her that leg up. I think if this was her first performance ever, she was a shoe in But I think the fact that she... One already has an Oscar and has three nominations. I think that people were like, okay, no, thank you. This wasn't it for us. I feel like I'm pretty well versed in Oscar history just from growing up with a movie lover for a mother. Shout out to Barbara Russell. Hi, Barbara Mog Russell. There, good, yeah. Love you, Babs. Christine loves my mom. Shreveport, Boja City. Shreveport, Boja City, home of Van Clabin. Uh, but... Uh, the best actress category, we have Jessica Chastain, Olivia Coleman, Penelope Cruz, Nicole Kidman, and Kristen Stewart. Holy cow. I think, honestly, it's anybody's race. But I think r- right now it seems like it's between Nicole and Olivia to see who's going to go for Oscar number two. And my dream, my hope in my heart of hearts is that Jessica Chastain just like, surges in and comes up and gets that trophy. Like, in she was full Tammy in Faye makeup, just screaming oh. at assistants. She's wearing a caftan and she's singing Jesus Keeps Taking Me Higher and Higher. Yes, my favorite <laughs> song of 2021. Oh my God. Uh, um, but speaking of um, stacked categories uh, that feature hi- iconic women, mm. um, can we talk about Jane Campion making history as the first woman ever to be nominated for two Best Director Oscars for Power of the Dog? I mean, it's sad that it took us, what, 94 ceremonies to get here? But, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I will take progress where I can get it. And, you know, if anyone's going to show up and grab, it'll be her second because she won for writing. But if she's going to win her best director on her second go, I want to be a bad bitch like Jane. It's, is it Amazon or Netflix is Power of the Dog? Anyone? It's Netflix. Netflix. Got it. Um, And then another iconic woman uh, making uh, Oscar history this week, Beyonce. After being mocked by Hollywood during the 2006 Dreamgirls run, and then being nearly getting there, nearly just shy for the Lion King spirit song, uh, what was it, two years ago? Mm-hmm. Mrs. Carter is an Oscar nominee. All right. I'm looking up best song here. So we have Be Alive by Beyonce. Dos. Uh, Christine, help me out. Thank you. I don't want to have to already have an apology for episode 11. 
Christine doesn't speak Spanish, but she has seen Encanto. <laughs> she has seen Encanto. Listen to that song a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no time to die. Better not win. Um, I don't know, Christine. Uh, what do you think about Encanto? Like, do you think that it's it's worthy with that song? Or not. I mean, and it's, I don't know enough about the Beyonce song. I mean, well, actually, since you guys are much more like Oscar connoisseurs than I am, is the song not just supposed to be a good song, but like be um, like an essential part of the story? Um, They've been trying to push for that. Yeah. Do you remember when like the song used to be like, uh, just somewhere over the credits, it has to feature into the movie a little bit, or it has to be the first song. So, like, if you are Leanne Rhymes and you're making the soundtrack for the iconic 2000s film Coyote Ugly, <gasps> and your song is like second or third on the credits, you cannot submit that Can't song. Can't fight it has the moonlight. Be, yep, <laughs> and you cannot. You will not win. Um, so you're saying my either... heart will go on, will will not win the Oscar. Your heart will go on, but your heart won't win the Oscar. Uh, no. Because <laughs> that song wasn't in the movie. Thank you. But it's, <laughs> but it's so ingrained in the, like, credits, and, like, there's, like, you know, riffs of it in it. Like, to me, but it, it's the first song that plays over the credits. Well, and the thing, I already said this last week, um, so maybe this is going to be my new meme, is that I talk about Encanto every week. Um, but Dos Origuitas is really the heart, like, it's the emotional climax of the movie. Um, in addition to being a beautiful song, it's, like, an essential part of telling that story. Um, and it's also a musical, you know? And as a, mu- like, someone who loves musicals more than literally anything, um, to me, that's like, that's what's so special about musicals is they're using a, the songs to like tell the story. Um, so yeah, sometimes I think like a non-musical that has a song sort of shoehorned in maybe um, getting an Oscar nomination, it's sort of like, okay, but like, could this song have just been a single and it would have been just as good? Mm-hmm. But to me, if Best Original Song was Best Actress, and, you know, you have Nicole, you have Kristen, and then you have Jessica kind of storming in, I think it's Beyonce, and it's Lin-Manuel and Best Original Song. And the, like, outlier who's out there that you're not really putting your money on is Diane Warren, who's been nominated for five Oscars in five years, 13 nominations, never won. She's giving us Nothing Gonna Stop Us from Mannequin. She's giving us Because You Loved Me, How Do I Live, Don't Want to Miss a Thing, There You'll Be from Pearl Harbor. I mean, I'm sorry, this bitch is going to win an Oscar. And I wonder if, like, there's going to be the camp where it's like, we want Beyonce at the telecast, we want Lin-Manuel Miranda to EGOT, and there's just going to be Diane Warren walking in, vaguely looking like Ghislaine Maxwell, in a tuxedo, being very self-deprecating, going up and snatching her trophy. Is she the one that's crazy as well? Like, she's, she's a, a songwriting bit. genius, clearly, based on the songs that she's written. But isn't she crazy, though? And I hope There's she is. There's some insane, like, and by insane, I mean incredibly enjoyable footage of her on the red carpet with Mariah Carey. And she takes her, like, cell phone out, and she's, like, selfieing with Mariah Carey. And Mariah Carey, like, pushes her arm down and, like, shoves her off the red carpet. Cool. Uh, so, like, there's definitely, like, she's a character. She's definitely somebody I would love to have dinner with. But, um, you know, I... 
Well, I think for her chances... In this case, I'm separating the art from the artist. <laughs> for her chances, though, is the fact that nobody saw this movie uh, sort of a mark against their their chances, her chances. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I'm like, like four I feel good like... days, I've never heard of this. And then I click through and it's Mila Kunis and Glenn Close. And I just, I literally... I've never it, heard of that movie. It made $843,000. I mean, that was a lot in, like, 1935 when the category was introduced. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're a history podcast, Brian. Touche. Yes. Well, going, uh, I'd like to have a nice segue between that and our apologies. Uh, I'd like to apologize for any of the nomination picks that I made last week because that's all wiped out. After earlier this week... I saw a little movie called Moonfall by Roland Emmerich. Guys, get this. The moon falls onto the earth. What? It's crazy. Get this. Get this, you guys. So there's a NASA astronaut, okay? There's an accident that happens. The other two astronauts are knocked out. They're out of the picture, okay? They don't understand what's going on. He sees an alien, okay? Gets back to Earth. NASA says, no, you didn't see anything. But he was like, no, I did see something. Guys, you're not going to believe this. NASA covered it up. There actually was an alien, okay? He's completely out of the picture. Like, he gets kicked out of NASA, okay? We're introduced to his character five years later, right? Knock on the door that wakes him up in bed because it's his landlord because he hasn't paid his rent. That's right. This former astronaut is a deadbeat now. Isn't paying his rent. Sneaks out the back door. You're never going to guess what type of motor vehicle transportation he uses. It's a motorcycle, uh, you guys. This ex-badass <laughs> astronaut uses a motorcycle to escape, okay? Get this. He's a school teacher now, right? His son's in a little bit of legal trouble. But here's the thing. The alien returns, okay? It's bad news, right? So he gets brought back into NASA, right? NASA has to go back and apologize and say, hey, you weren't crazy. This actually happened. We covered it up, right? And here's the thing. All of the NASA space shuttles have been retired. They're no longer in the picture. How are we going to get them up? That's right. Multiple times it's cited. They thank Elon Musk and the Chinese government for getting them no. back into space. That's no. right. I don't know which one is worse. I don't yes. know who's worse. Oh. That's right. The <laughs> hero of the story. NASA are the bad guys. Elon Musk and the Chinese government. That's who the heroes are, right? Get this. The moon never falls on Earth. They save it, okay? All right, maybe it turns out that the moon never actually existed, and maybe it was built by rogue AI, okay? But that's not the point, right? Ex-NASA scientist, I mean, ex-NASA astronaut saves the Earth. Everything is okay. Guess what? Best actor? The guy in that. Best actress? The girl in that. Best director? Roland Emmerich. Best song? Whatever the hell that shit was. Best picture? <laughs> Moonfall by Roland Emmerich. That's my apology. Thank you. <laughs> By the guy and the girl, you mean Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson, right? Sure. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I did Google while you were talking. Because I, I this is this all real? That's how the uh-huh. movie works. Yes, yes, it My is. God. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Um. Should I watch it? No. No. 
Okay. No. Clay just thinks it should win five Oscars, but you shouldn't watch it. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's too good for you, Christy. You can, yeah, Sorry. you can't look directly at it. You can only listen to Clay's coked out summary of it. I'm so sad that the moon doesn't actually fall because I then I could pretend that it's in the melancholia cinematic universe. Oh my god! Wait, what's his name? Sam from Ga- Game of Thrones, isn't it? All I'm saying is that man is having quite a run because he's also in the Jennifer Lopez Owen Wilson movie that comes out this weekend. Mm. If I had um, to pick someone from that's, that show. That's, that's <laughs> Brian's Moonfall is what that is. <laughs> <laughs> marry Me? Oh, yeah. You mean Academy Award winner Marry Me? <laughs> <laughs> Golden Globe winner Jennifer Lopez. Academy Award nominee Owen Wilson. Latin Grammy Award winner Maluma. Like, please. That's, those are icons. <laughs> They're trying to bring the rom-com back. I mean, I hope it, I hope it works, you know? Yeah. If anyone can, it's going to be Jennifer Lopez. Yes. But at the end, she... Um, so, like, at the end of Marry Me, I've heard a spoiler. Uh, there's a post credit scene where she's visited by Meg Ryan, and Meg Ryan invites her to join the rom-com initiative. Is this real? <laughs> no, but could you imagine? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess if Clay made an apology, I'll make an apology. And my apology is that I'm sorry that I said that I'm sorry last week, because by saying that I was sorry and apologizing for using a slur, I now get to say that I have something in common with Joe Rogan, and that's that we both apologize (laughs) on our podcasts for using a slur. And that's something that I have to live with. Well, no, the distinction being (laughs) you apologized of your own volition with no... Thank you. Outcry, whereas Joe Rogan, even though I don't know, guys, he didn't seem like he was in any danger of getting his show canceled because I think he makes too much money for Spotify. Well, that's the thing is Spotify is trying their damnedest to, like, cover up all this shit because they gave him 100 million. They don't want to lose it. Yeah, they're like, please just go apologize. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take off over 100 episodes where you use slurs yeah like if i i don't pay for spotify because they suck and their entire business model is on screwing over musicians but like and their interface is ugly thank you ugly like it's just it's putrid i understand apple music isn't the best we don't get an unwrapped but spotify it's disgusting to look at but if i did i'd be disappointed if i paid money for joe rogan uh because i want to hear about horse pills and uh just you know, a third of the episode archive just one day disappears. Especially if, you know, N-word uh, spewing had not turned you off the podcast already. <laughs> like, people were like, that's why I'm here. Yeah, what's the um, problem? I will say, though, speaking of the horse pills, I find it very interesting because, like, as somebody who only knows about him peripherally, like, it may come as a surprise to some people. I don't listen to Joe Rogan. Um, but... The, like, I'm an alpha male, I don't need to get vaccinated, I don't need to do this, I don't need to do that. I only give a shit about myself, yeah. In the same breath, though, he'll also talk about, like, you know, oh, I I went and I got the... um, the antibodies uh, when he had when he had him he, he himself got COVID from not being vaccinated like and that uh, when he was on the the medication for horse deworming he was able to go to the doctor and pay out of pocket for the human strength version he wasn't at Walmart buying the uh, the horse and feed version like to me that's the thing is he's 
a lot of people are saying like he's an idiot and they can't believe that he's doing this. The man is very smart. Like it's the same thing with Kim Kardashian where people are like, she doesn't do anything. And I'm like, and yet she's talked about and she's the most famous person in the world. This man has somehow ingratiated himself to a group of people who feel that he is an everyman. Uh, somebody recently told me that it, white men, white straight men love Joe Rogan because it's like their high school bully is now their friend. And it wow. feels like that because he's able to make it feel like I'm one of you. But then at the same time, he has a hundred million dollars from Spotify. So he's not one of you because he's able to go and pay for the treatment that'll save his life from COVID. He's able to pay for premium medications that you don't have access to and aren't covered by your insurance. And to me, that's the thing where I'm annoyed by like, it would be like if I was taking health advice from Gwyneth Paltrow. When I see a Goop newsletter and Gwyneth's like, here's how we're dealing with wellness this week, I'm like, Gwyneth, I don't want that. Talk to me about minimalist place settings or 10 easy ways to use quinoa in your Thanksgiving recipe. But do not come at me and tell me about wellness. I mean, girl, you're rich. I saw mm-hmm. your Architectural Digest. <laughs> it's also, it's a big, I uh, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, that I do enjoy reading the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, which is the, the town that I grew up in, home of Ann Clyburn, shout out to episode nine. And uh, I do like to read the letters to the editor section of that, because you do get a viewpoint of a lot of people that do listen to Joe Rogan and, and you know, kind of espouse his views and, and, and support him no matter what. And a common refrain was, you know, the First Amendment gives him the right to say whatever he wants about COVID. And this is getting to that 21st century argument that the Constitution really hasn't necessarily addressed yet, which is, can a broadcaster be allowed to hurt people through speech? The genius or the dark genius of Facebook and the dark genius of Spotify is that they're saying that they're not a broadcaster, that they're a content provider. So are there protections to Joe Rogan and people like him? And let's let's be clear about this as well, is that Joe Rogan is just a drop in the ocean of all the disinformation that's currently out there about the pandemic. Uh, should he be allowed to say whatever he wants about that stuff, even though that it may or has killed people? So, I mean, the the legal answer is yes. But on what I will say is then we have, as consumers, have the right to cancel our subscription to Spotify, stop using people who sponsor his show, um, stop supporting people who show up on his show. Like, that's the thing, is it's essentially, like, economic... Um, Speaking with your money. Yeah, like, you know, uh, using your wallet as your uh, voice box. And to me, that's the thing is when, you know, people are like, oh, I'm calling on all of my um, followers uh, in DRE, the Grammy Award winning singer posted that video and people were like, she's trying to get Joe canceled. And it's like, no, she's not. She's she is illuminating something that is a fact. And she's telling people I'm pulling my music off of Spotify. I encourage other people to do so if they have music on Spotify. And I am encouraging my fans and supporters and followers to think about maybe not using Spotify which is her right. He has the right to say what he is saying, but that doesn't, he, he has the freedom to say it. He is not free of the consequences that befall what he is saying. And I think that that is the kind of, um, you know, hamster wheel that we've been stuck in as a society because it's also, you know, like it take Joe Rogan's name out and insert Donald Trump's or countless other people over the last five years who have, you know, essentially done and said things and have caused 
all sorts of outrage. And then people have reacted by, you know, boycotting the show and, you know, like get contacting Tucker Carlson sponsors and being like, you have to pull your ads from the show. And, you know, it's again, you know, to reiterate it for the people on the back, you're free to say whatever you want, but that you are not free from the consequences. I've thought a lot about this. Uh, Brian brought it up earlier in the week and, and said that we should, we should raise the topic of Joe Rogan. I enjoy that, that we're not owned by, uh, Spotify or any of these other places. And I feel like you can verbally hear people starting to reluctantly stay away from that based on who owns their podcast. I'm glad we don't have that problem, but something that I thought about getting back to, you know, uh, speaking with your wallet is that a year from now, most likely the United States will be a very different landscape for reproductive rights and what that's going to do in terms of protest and, and uh, you know, the First Amendment and things like that in the United States. And I predict that we're heading into a new era in the United States of the conscientious consumer, of people being more aware of where they're spending their money and, uh, you know, what they're spending their money toward and what it affects and who it funds. I mean, I think the like idea that we're in a place now where democratic states are telling people to wear a mask inside, like we're we're already entering a whole new world. I think throw in a couple of Supreme Court rulings uh, with uh, homegirl Amy Coney Barrett on the bench, and I think that we're uh, you know it's it's not just a new world; it's a brave new world. Um, I know I'm not the host, but I just I want to just say uh, we're up to the Obama era. Christine gets to highlight the medalist. And I want to say Obama had some starry picks. Stephen Hawking, Billie Jean King, patron saint of our pod, Oprah Winfrey, Meryl Streep, Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, Bruce Springsteen, and current president Joe Biden. Christine, who did you pick? Uh, I picked uh, world-famous man William Fagey. <laughs> he, he made the yogurt, right? Yes. It's actually pronounced Faye. <laughs> oh, but but that but he he invented the yogurt. That's great, Christine, a yogurt maker. Uh, when Christine sent it to the chat today, I like literally was in disbelief and I was like, she's kidding. And then but wait, you have to come back after the break. When she explains to you who this person is, it's it, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guys, when we get back, yogurt talk. Okay, so uh, I guess Brian already gave this a little bit of an introduction. Um, so we're in the Obama era, which, as we've mentioned before, is, is uh, I think Brian called it like the Kennedy honors. There's a lot of big, big names. And, you know, what fun is it to do a profile of someone you already know a lot, if not everything about? So I was doing some of the, the more deep cuts um, in Obama's uh, list of recipients, and I came upon upon a man named William Herber Fege, I think. It's spelled F-O-E-G-E. I think it's German or like Dutch or something. Anywho, he was born March 12th, 1936. He is still alive, still working, which I'll get to. Um, and we're on a little bit of a tall guy streak. So um, William Fege is 
six foot seven. I mean, he's maybe a little shorter now that he's 85 years old, but um, a tall guy, much like last week's um, Van Clyburn. Six four. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So even taller. Um, I mean, his early upbringing was not particularly noteworthy, but he ended up pursuing a medical degree at the University of Washington. And so he participated in a postdoctorate program with the CDC, otherwise known as the Centers for Disease Control. I think now we call it and prevention. I don't know when the and prevention got added, but... Um, HIV era, maybe? Yeah, if any uh, of our listeners want to write angry letters about that, feel free. Um, the reason why this doctor is uh, someone that's not only worthy of a medal, but worthy of a, of a profile is um, he's had kind of an incredible career. And the, the, the thing that's most prominent to talk about is he, his sort of research and the, and the things that he focused on as a medical professional um, was preventative medicine, kind of public health, um, especially in the developing world, which in like the 1970s and 80s, that was kind of right around the time, I think. I mean, at least my perception, guys, I don't know if I'm wrong. Like, you know, that was when it started to be like, there's children starving in Africa. And, you know, there was a real um, swell of um, like a sense of responsibility on the part of like, developed nations to maybe help the developed world, um, sorry, developing worlds as well. So this guy pretty much was responsible for smallpox eradication. Um, smallpox is famously one of the diseases that we've actually eradicated through, um, you know, medical technology and people wanting to get the vaccine for it. I told you, you guys, like you were like, oh, no, she's not doing Meryl Streep. But she found somebody who is so much more topical. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we're going to he's again, he's still alive and he's still he's still making news. We're going to get there. Um, So his the thing that he championed for smallpox, which I think around the time that um, he was still working under the umbrella of the CDC. So it was while he was working for the Center for Disease Control in Africa as the chief of the smallpox eradication program. So, like, literally, they're like, hey, you, you think you can do away with this disease? And he's like, hold my beer. Um, so the the method or strategy that he um, that he used to eradicate smallpox was called the ring vaccine strategy. Um Someone a lot smarter than me on infectious disease control would probably explain it better, but the short version is, like, it's just really robust contact tracing um, and creating a ring around an infected or exposed person. Um, So basically anyone who could have any reasonable... um, And this is probably easier in places with um, less dense population, um, less population density, Because it's like, oh, if this, say it's a village or it's a family or, you know, a cluster of families, it's sort of like, so the vaccine, because rolling out, it's sort of like rolling out the vaccine in cases like this, I think where outbreaks are very localized, um, right? It's not a pandemic. It's like, but it's a very serious, virulent disease going around. Um, You would actually waste a lot of resources and energy trying to just get the vaccine to literally everyone. So it's like, let's focus all of our energy on these clusters. We'll use this ring vaccine method and kind of create this, 
you know, immunization ring around the person. Um, and in so doing, um, like he did it guys. And like smallpox, he did it. He did the thing. Um, so because of that, uh, he, that's pretty much, you know, his claim to fame. He became the head of the CDC, uh, after working for it for many years. He was the, um, I think the official title is director of the CDC from 1977 to 1983. So that was um, Jimmy Carter. And then I guess the first two years or so of Reagan's first term, he was the head of the CDC. Um, and we all remember Reagan was very serious about controlling uh, the spread of diseases. Of course. Yeah. Brian, <laughs> Brian never sleeps on an opportunity to roast Ronald Reagan for ignoring the AIDS crisis. And I never will. Can confirm. Yeah. Um, and so, so his, um, he's kind of like a disease crusader. Um, he had also had, so his thing is disease eradic eradication, eradication. Um, like he's like, no, we can literally get rid of this disease instead of like, say, I don't know, learning to live with it or pretending it doesn't exist. Um, and throughout his career has taken an active role in the eradication of Guinea worm disease. Um, like NSFW, go ahead and Google that, but it's pretty nasty if you haven't already heard of it. Um, so I'm going to give you a partial list in addition to his um, directorship of the CDC, some of the um, positions that he's had or has. This is a partial list because I'm saving one for the end. Uh, he was president and co-founder of the Task Force for Global Health. He was a senior fellow of the Global Health Program in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, advisory board member for Emory University's Global Health Institute, a health policy fellow for the Carter Center, which is a position that he still um, holds to this day. So the Carter Center is like the, you know, Jimmy Carter's kind of post-presidential charity, and it just has to do with, um, I don't think public health is the only thing. But they clearly have a um, a strong public health component to the charity, and uh, he actually was executive director of the Carter Center from 1986 to 1992, and then since 92 he's been um, the health policy fellow. So there are two interesting sort of postscripts on this guy who, um, again, among many other things, has been the. Um, the director of the CDC. So the first is a bit meatier. So he's, he's kind of like an infectious disease elder statesman. And so while he's not actively in the political sphere, although he does work for a presidential um, foundation, uh, you know, I, none of us knew his name because he's not like still out there. Like, you know, the Debbie Burks and the um, Fauci's of the world. So he, Again, still alive, has been has been with us watching uh, coronavirus unfold. In late 2020, was moved to send what can only be described <laughs> as a barn burner of a letter to um, CDC Director Robert Redfield. Um, it's like an elderly hot take. I love it. Yeah, like, and it's it's worded very. And don't worry, guys, we're gonna we're gonna do some dramatic reading. Um, mm. It's it's. 
I don't even know if you can call it polite because it's so scathing that I think it's not polite, but you get, you, you also feel his, um, like despair. Um, and so just to remind you guys, cause it's been so long, what late 2020 was like, like enough time had passed since the initial coronavirus, um, response or lack thereof that like we as the public were becoming more aware of the political maneuvering that was going on the, the, um, I don't know what the word is obstructionism that the white house, you know, sort of like cutting off the CDC at the knees, um, and not listening to them, contradicting them, like all that stuff. Do you guys remember that? Or I don't know. Did we, did we collectively block it out? It's tough because after January 6th, all we remember is hang Mike Pence. But before that, it was kill Dr. Fauci. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that we, unfortunately, as Americans, forgot. Um, Yeah, I know. We should remember that there was a moment. I feel like just like the 90s, though, kill Dr. Fauci is making a bit of a comeback, though. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and like the mid to 2020 is as far away as the 90s, like as far as I can tell. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So this letter, which I assume we can link in the show notes if anyone wants, or you could just Google it. Um, it's called, and so again, similar to, um, last week when, when we were kind of expressing some, no, it was the last two weeks because we were expressing surprise, Brian and I, that we didn't know much of anything about Van Cliburn, despite that being an amazing story. We didn't know about, um, uh, Moynihan, what's his name? Patrick Moynihan's daughter being a racist, even though that made the news. Can I also say as well, just to kind of throw in some New York culture, that like there are racists out there, but I feel like a deli bodega is a sacred space. Don't be racist in a deli or a bodega. That's where we all come together to like pet the mangy looking cat that's sitting on the yeah. potato chips and get and like don't a, go on yelp and complain about that cat that cat works there that thank is, you that cat has a job an employee of the deli that cat works harder than you that yeah. cat is an exterminator that they don't have to pay for mm-hmm. that cat doesn't clock in and clock out that cat stays clocked in mm-hmm. which is why it's always sleeping on the wise potato chips it's so cute i follow bodega cats it's it's marvelous. Anyway, uh, okay, back to the subject at hand. So it's September 23rd, 2020, and um, William has been moved to send this letter to Robert Redfield. And, of course, he starts off saying, Dear Bob, which I love because it's, like, um, you know, like, a little personal, and he's about to just, like, roast him so hard that it's, like, I love that he said Bob instead of Robert. So, um I guess let's. How's my COVID response going? Not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. Oh, God. So, um, yeah, I want both Brian and Clay to read some of this. I love also, like, how quickly this scan was made. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. someone who worked for the CDC. Yeah, the CDC (laughs) was like, I got to do this now because Donald Trump is about ready to flush this down the toilet. Okay. Do you know about this, Brian? That there's a Maggie Haberman book that's about to come out that plumbers were repeatedly called to the White House and the cause of the clog in the toilet multiple times they found documents that were flushed down the toilet. And if he couldn't flush them, sometimes it's rumored that he ate them. (sighs) 
And you thought the Big Macs were the worst thing in that man's body. <sighs> Christine, you won the last... I know we were calling it the Wikipedia showdown. I think we should call it the supplemental showdown. Mm, uh, like supplemental documents. Material. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, but as the, as the previous victor, I know you're not competing, who should start with Dear Bob? I think Brian. All right. Dear Bob, I start every day thinking about the terrible burden you bear. I don't know what I would actually do if in your position, but I do know what I wish I would do. The first thing would be to face the truth. You and I both know that... One, despite the White House's spin attempts, this will go down as a colossal failure of the public health system of this country. The biggest challenge in a century, and we let the country down. The public health texts of the future will use this as a lesson on how not to handle an infectious disease pandemic. The cause will be incompetence and illogic of the White House program. Three! The White House has had no hesitation to blame and disgrace the CDC. You and state governors, they will blame you for the disaster in six months' time they have caused CDC to go from gold to tarnished brass. Why and how has this happened? The failure of the White House to put the CDC in charge has resulted in the violation of every lesson learned in the last 75 years that made the CDC the gold standard for public health in the world. Wow. Wow. Guys, it goes on for four more pages, so if you like what you hear, um, check out the liner notes to see this um, incredibly hastily scanned letter (laughs) that was leaked to the public. Hmm. Like the scan communicates as much as the letter itself. Just like get this out before you know what. It doesn't even look yeah. like it was scanned. It looks like somebody got it and took a photo of it on their desk on their with phone. their iPhone. That is and, like exactly, put it up on the internet. I love it. So okay, this is a tough choice as to who won. Um, but just from the sheer power of the performance, I think I have to give it to Clay. Thank you. Thank you. It gave Thank me like you a so fi- much, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. I like physically reacted to it. It was it was really intense. Um, Thank you. All right, so that's that. Obviously, Robert Redfield didn't listen to him, and you know, here we are in mid February, twenty twenty two. Also, after starting it with "Dear Bob," and then <laughs> going so far as to shove his foot so far up that man's ass that it came out his throat, <laughs> he ends the the letter five pages with i wish you the very best bill i know it's sort of like <laughs> just bob and the only bill could be better is if it was like i wish you the very best your friend bill <laughs> bless your heart <sighs> yeah anyway that's how you um, write a passive progressive letter at work guys it is you guys yeah. please <laughs> okay if you're not if the historical value of it doesn't interest you it's a good <laughs> please this is the blueprint yeah um, all right. So the other thing that we have to mention, and Brian's like wig is going to go into orbit when I mention this, if you didn't <laughs> already know. So when I listed all the cool, uh, you know, positions that he's had, um, other than directing director of the CDC, I left one off cause I wanted to save it for the last. He was a medical advisory board member of Theranos. <gasps> oh my God. 
So, Whoa. you guys, Theranos is also very topical because um, I believe Hulu is about to release a miniseries about it um, starring Amanda Seyfried. It's called The Dropout. Academy Award the nominee Amanda Seyfried. So, I, I got I If I can step in here, I feel like do. Brian was wronged in the showdown that we just had because if he would have <laughs> known that Elizabeth Holmes was interested in this, he would have completely channeled her and I would have lost that contest. Dear Bob, um, it's time for us to stop saying goodbye to people we love too soon. You're my tiger, and I love you, and I can't live without you. You are my river, you are my earth, you are my peace. Okay. (laughs) So Brian and I are just obsessed with everything about this story, but the texts between Elizabeth Holmes and the CFO, Sunny, I'm not going to say his last name because I'll mispronounce it, um, cause they were having an affair. Um, but like, um, her maybe like emotional commitment to the affair was different than his. Cause she was like saying these incredibly flowering things, flowery, like declarations of love to him over text. And he was like, okay. <laughs> so I don't know. It's hilarious. But, um, so the thing, the, the reason why this is compelling to me is number one, even someone as, um, not just intelligent, but clearly as savvy as he is when you read this letter to Redfield, you're like, oh, he can he can see what's going on. He knows that the White House is spinning this and, um, you know, he's very sharp. And so the, and he was under he was in the CDC under both the Carter and Reagan administration. So he worked for both the Democrat and a Republican president. Yeah. yeah. So he's your weekly reminder that bipartisanship is dead. Dead. I mean, he's still alive, but um, he's been... bipartisanship gets the medal, it's posthumously. He's literally been cozy at the Carter Center since 1986. So I think he's picked a side. Um, Do we... Sorry sorry to ask, because I haven't read everything on this. Was the AIDS crisis in relation to him leaving the CDC? 83. Yeah, that timing sort of works out, I think. Um, so I, but the thing I want to say though, is it's to me, I have a new, almost like grudging admiration for Elizabeth Holmes. Cause I'm like, she fucking fooled this guy, this guy who could see through not, not only like this, um, infectious disease expert and hero, but like smart and canny enough to understand, like see through certainly the white house is the current or most recent former guy. White House, um, through their bullshit. He did not see through Elizabeth Holmes's bullshit, and he sat as a board member on Theranos. And so I'm just like, Elizabeth Holmes. Like, thank God we found out that she was a fraud, and now she's, like, in disgrace. Because if she had been allowed to just (laughs) keep conning people, it scares me to think how far she could have gotten. And a great turtleneck. Well, guys... Uh, I know no one was like jazzed about my initial pick, but I think William Fagey was, uh, you know, I think, I think we learned a lot about ourselves, about America. And I think, uh, he absolutely deserved this medal and interesting that he got it somewhat late in the game, you know, getting it in, I believe it was 2012. He was 2012. Shared it with, uh, get this for a cool reception room afterwards. Mm. Uh, got the medal with Madeline Albright, John Glenn, and Bob Dylan. I like that. I would have liked to be at that 
dinner table. Right. I also, uh, like, I like to think that um, everyone was like, oh, are they going to perform? Are they going to perform? And finally, like, Madeleine Albright was like, somebody wheel in my piano. <laughs> <laughs> so who, I mean, as always, be, thanks to the death of bipartisanship, it's hard to answer this one. But who who do you think this guy, this guy despite the fact that he's still alive, but, like, in his heyday, who who... Would he be today? I mean, the name that came up that, I mean, it's, I, I understand why it hasn't happened because of the pandemic. But to me, when Biden announces the class of 2020, I don't know if it'll be the first name. I don't know if it'll go off a battle call. He'll probably be third or fourth, but it will be Dr. Fauci. Mm-hmm. I think that he will receive the medal for his work with the AIDS crisis and all through the um, COVID-19 pandemic. Here's the thing, though. Fauci actually got it in 2008. <gasps> what? But you can give it twice. Second one being with distinction. They did it with Colin Powell. I bet they'll do it with Fauci. I mean, if Colin Powell has two, let's give two to Fauci. Fuck yeah. it, let's give three to Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> and one not to Deborah Burks, but to her scarves. Yeah. Oh, that woman keeps Hermes in business. Mm-hmm. By the way, Fauci, <laughs> given by George W. Bush. I can't talk about George W. Bush again this week. I already went on the record with my George W. Bush impression, and it wasn't great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess that wraps it up, unless anyone else has any lingering thoughts about our friend William Fagey. No, but I do enjoy our current streak of of giving medals to giants. Yeah. So, uh, Brian, the next one has to be six foot eight or taller. All right. Okay. There has to be somebody on there. Yeah. I feel like Trump gave a lot of weird picks. Like, I could pick, like, Frankenstein's monster. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, that does it for me. And when we come back, um, Clay's going to lead us through the medals of the week. I know Christine said that Clay would be leading you through the medals of the week, but that's because she forgot about the format and Clay hosted the first segment. So no medal for Christine this week. Slap on the wrist for Christine. I had a headache today and these guys did not let me postpone the recording. So that's on them. And you know what? You did a brave and courageous thing. Thank you so much. Uh, But this is the medals of the week where we give a medal to a person. Um, Sometimes it's... uh, idea, an animal, a concept, a pop culture sensation uh, that we feel this week, if we resided at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, is worthy of the highest honor that you can give to a civilian. Um, I will go first. Um, I'm going to give my medal of the week to Dua Lipa. Um, On top of being an incredible pop star and a Grammy Award winner, um, last night in Miami, Florida, I believe, uh, Dua Lipa kicked off the Future Nostalgia Tour. Um, And she comes up from underneath the stage, the music starts, and Dua Lipa starts to do this dance that went viral about four years ago, where her body is completely still, but she just shakes her hips back and forth. And for 
people who are not on Twitter, it's like a very famous video. Whenever anyone posts like a good song, someone will post this. Um, but for those of you who are on gay Twitter, you will know that in February of 2018, Dua Lipa performed at the Brit Awards. And she posted the video very proudly to her YouTube page, her official YouTube page. And somebody by the name of Tobias commented on it. I love her lack of energy. Go girl, give us nothing. (laughs) And a meme was born. Uh, in summer of 2018, Dua Lipa performs at Bonnaroo, which is where this dance really takes off, where it's just her, like, just shaking her hips back and forth. Uh, in this case, she does it to one kiss. The first one, it was to New Rules. Um, Dua Lipa goes away for a while. In spring of 2020, right as, as COVID is getting bad, she releases the Grammy Award-winning feature, Nostalgia. And Great album. And in April of 2020, she speaks to Vanity Fair, and she says that she understands that people made fun of her <laughs> dancing, and she took that to heart. And she made sure that everything that she did during the rollout of Future Nostalgia looked polished. She wanted people to know she was rehearsed. And last night, when she came out of that elevator, last night as, as a recording, recording this on Thursday, she is dressed incredibly. She has had, now had four number uh, top ten hits, and she recreated the dance for all of us. And to me... The idea that you can laugh at yourself and also be involved in Elton John's first top 10 hit in 25 years, like in the same two-month period. We're only in February of 2022, and this woman has just, she is with Elton John right now at the top of the charts, and to be able to laugh at yourself like that, and for it to be a thing where, like, you've bettered yourself, there's no one that I would rather give this medal to than do it. And if you have any arguments, don't start now. <laughs> Clay, who's your pick? I am uh, famously the oldest member of the Limbaugh, so things uh, get to me pretty late now. And I uh, just learned, Grandpa just learned that about birds aren't real. <laughs> uh, Somebody listens just, to the daily. <laughs> thank you. Just quick survey. Uh, so Brian, Brian knows about it. Christine, I knew about it. You knew about it. Okay. I for for fellow olds out there that are listening, I just kind of want to describe this. I love a good performance art prank, and uh, his name, my Limbaugh Award, goes to Peter Mickendoo. Uh, this week, he's a 23 year old from rural Arkansas and uh, decided to start a performance art piece about how far misinformation can go by claiming that in the 1970s, the Carter administration uh, systematically executed every single bird in existence and replaced them with surveillance drones and has convoluted theories about uh, how you can pull this off. He asked questions in his protests, like, have you ever actually seen a baby bird? No, they just appear. Uh, The reason why that they can all be powered is because the government built these large poles and connected wires to them and telephone poles, and that's how they charge themselves. And uh, I also just really enjoy just uh, the visuals of the protests from everything that's going on here. And I uh, just wanted to share it with uh, with the team. Uh, this one here is of uh, the gentleman, Mr. McIndoo. He has a van that he bought. 
Uh, as you can see here, he has the uh, bird repellent wire at the top. Uh, I, I I feel like every movement should start with you buying a van, and slapping a bunch of weird stuff on it. Exactly. <laughs> And just drives around in this van and goes to protest. There was a massive protest outside of Twitter headquarters for being pro-bird. Uh, this is him at a uh, rally in St. Louis. Uh, and he was criticizing the St. Louis Cardinals for being pro-bird. <laughs> and this is him standing <laughs> on his van <laughs> burning <laughs> A St. Louis Cardinals flag while wearing Oakleys and wearing a suit, which I think is just genius. And I also am slightly obsessed with their merch page. And I'm pretty sure after the recording of this episode's ends, I am buying this shirt. <laughs> Uh, so you're buying the one that says I'm a lie because I'm buying the one that says bird watching goes both ways. Yes, <laughs> that one is amazing, oh too. But I love uh, for listeners at home, there's a shirt with a cute looking bird and underneath in all caps, it says I am a lie. Uh, I love that. I, I uh, just love a good prank. I also enjoy that there is a serious side to it of they're basically copying the QAnon playbook to show how easy it is to, to spread things around. Uh, and it's also a fun, nonviolent little yeah. thing that a community of Gen Z kids can get into. Uh, I read in the interview that, you know, that entire generation has basically been isolated their entire high school and college years. And this is something that could bring them all together and uh, and have a little bit of fun. So my my Limbaugh goes to James <laughs> McAdoo. You go get it, kids. Um, so I know you said that you were late to this. Um, the person who I learned it from is my sister who is like a junior millennial. She's, uh, like early nineties. Mm -hmm. And at the early days of the pandemic, like when people were like, this is a hoax, there's something going on. My sister would look people dead in the eyes after learning about this. And she would be like, well, that's because birds are real and the government needs us to stay inside so they can change the batteries. And... <laughs> People never knew how to respond because it was a thing where, like, they would pause and they were already so, like, deeply what alienated the by their own conspiracy conspiratorial thoughts that when my sister would say that to them, they would be like, wow. <laughs> and it was just, it's so good. And finally, like, there just came a point where I was like, this is too detailed. How do you, what, what is this? And she sent me the information about birds aren't real. And to me, the idea that he's building a community through misinformation as like a performance art project to kind of mirror the community that people in QAnon feel where like they, they feel so left behind that they're looking for anything to kind of make, make sense um, to me is just, you know, maybe Whitney Houston is correct. Maybe the children are our future. I can't beat that. Christine, cap us off. So we here at the Limbaugh are huge Dolly Parton fans, uh, both as an yes. artist and as a human being. Um, I won't get into how she relates to the theme of the podcast, because I think it would be good to talk about that next week. So no spoilers. Um, I do. I have a question. Do you think Dolly Parton will eventually accept the Medal of Freedom? No. No. I think she'll receive it posthumously. Hmm. I think whoever's president... If and when Dolly She's Parton not dies, die. um, will be the one to give it to her. Um, so, d but I like to think that it'll be her share in the cockroaches, and we'll all just be ashes. <laughs>
reason number a million to be Dolly Parton fans is at least the news broke today. I don't know from whence it came. Um, Dolly Parton's Dollywood Parks and Resorts has announced it will pay all tuition costs, fees, and books for employees who pursue higher education. This includes all part-time, full-time, seasonal employees, and from day one on the job. I mean, I don't know what there is to say about that, except, like, someone on Twitter was like, sorry, why isn't Dolly Parton president? And, like, I don't have a good answer. Except my answer was to say, I wish Dollywood was a real town. You know, like, Disney World has Celebration Florida. It's, like, a real town you can live in. Like, I want Dollywood mm-hmm. to be a town, and she's, like, our, our, you know, benevolent ruler. And she just, you know, just sort of see what, see what develops. I'd live in Dollywood. I've read that her uh, music publishing lawyers are famous for being complete a-holes to, like, music industry people that want to license her music and, like, Spotify for streaming rights and all that. And I don't necessarily think that's a negative. I enjoy that they're kind of fleecing them for every dime that they can pay her. And then she's actually using those funds to pay for people that maybe deserve a little bit of help. I mean, do you understand a seasonal employee at an amusement park is going to get all of their costs for going to college paid by Dolly Parton? Yeah, that's awesome. A few weeks ago, I feel like um, it went viral that she released like a a line of, I believe it was Duncan Hines, Dolly Parton themed baking uh, kits, where it was like all sorts of like Southern recipes that she loved. And what I found striking about it was, most times when someone does something like that, they're just like, I love baking, I love cooking, I love being home. Dolly Parton was like straight up and was like, oh, well, you know, as a famous person, I'm offered stuff like this all the time, and it pays a lot of money. And she's like, you know, that's nice. She goes, but you just have to be careful what you put your name on. She's like, but I'm very happy to be paid and to put my name on this product. And to me, like, the idea that she's very transparent about, like, I'm out here, I'm making money, I am behind the scenes... If Little Nas X wants to put a cover of Jolene up on his Spotify page, he's paying me every dime that he owes me. This is not a favor because I think he's fun. And she is not hoarding that money like some sort of a dragon or Scrooge McDuck in a vault where she's like diving around in gold coins, but instead is like putting that money back into, I mean, on top of what she's doing for the community in, I believe it's Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, where Dollywood is. Think about the idea that she has given away, I think it's either 10 or it may even be 100 million books to public schools all around the country. I mean, to me, like, if it's not enough that, like, she wrote Jolene and I Will Always Love You <laughs> on the same day. Like, it's the idea that, like, she is truly out there, like, just doing the best that I think I can say anyone who's ever been alive <laughs> has ever done. Also, do you guys remember in, early on in the pandemic, she was on Colbert and she sang this pretty little, like, southern folk song, and she made him cry. Um, I vaguely remember that, but, like, the beginning of the pandemic was just a lot of people crying on TV. <laughs> and I feel like Stephen Colbert is, like, somehow, you wouldn't have guessed this if you traveled here in a time machine and he was still on the Colbert Report, but it's, like, the biggest softie. Yeah. Um, so that tracks. But He's I mean, also a southern anyone, boy, too, so, yeah, he connects with it. If anyone was going to make me cry on my own show, I wanted to be oh Dolly Parton. Like an honor. I would save the tears and put them in a little vial. <laughs> right. Well. Well, 
I mean, I have to say, I cannot believe that it's our 10th episode and that we made it here. And I cannot believe that we made it 30 metal picks without somebody giving it to Dolly Parton. But finally, justice has been served. <laughs> she is truly the Susan Lucci of the Limbaugh. It was a question of which one of us was going to give it to her. And Christine, I think you were right uh, to do it on this um, with this news. I think that, you know, it is... She never disappoints, but to me, even this is exceptional for uh, Dolly. We love you, Dolly. I also think that's a great lead into to next week. Uh, you mentioned this person when uh, when describing Dolly Parton in our earnings, Brian. I take it that you're going to be doing a profile on 2017 Medal Award winner Scrooge McDuck uh, for the the Trump presidency. Is that right? I am um, animated icon. Uh, famously Ivanka Trump's godfather. Um, cannot wait to get in there and talk about his relationship with Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Who's going to be the first president to give an animated Medal of Freedom? <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's Joe Biden and he gives it to Alita, Battle Angel. Because <laughs> he wants that cool robot body that she has so he can, live, he can live longer. Oh my God. Right. Uh, but yes, uh, next week I get to pick the medal and or the medal recipient, and it's Anything the Trump era, baby. Things are upside down. We're about yeah. to we're about to enter the looking glass that has brought us to our current reality, and I cannot wait to talk about uh, you know how the medal picks reflect that. But um, great, great profile, Christine. Um, great picks, everybody. Yes, sir. I guess we'll see everybody see next then. week. Find us on Twitter at Limbaugh Podcast. Twitter.com. Twitter.com. ProBird. Twitter.com. It's on the Bird app, and birds, again, famously, are not real. Not real. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.